This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 50, PBL in the High School English Classroom. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm so excited about today's episode. It might be my favorite episode to date. So many nuggets, so much great stuff. Just a great conversation. It was totally rad. Yes, I said it. It was rad. Before we get to today's show, I've got two quick announcements. Number one, please don't forget to leave your comments and questions about the show over at sospodcast.org slash questions. We love to hear from you, and because we are using a Flipgrid, you can also listen to all the comments left by other listeners and reply to them as well if you would like. A very cool way to see and hear from others who enjoy the podcast as much as you. Also, I'm getting ready to focus in on doing a summer series of podcasts aimed at teaching and learning into one-to-one classrooms. So trying to figure out some way over the summer to keep this rolling uh, and really focusing in on the idea of teaching and learning in a one-to-one classroom. Now, last week, I asked you for your comments and ideas to chat about. And this week, I've taken all the ideas that you shared via email and Twitter, at the hashtag SOS podcast, or you left uh, a comment somewhere on, on the website. I've tried to take all those and then some of the ideas that I had in my head, and I kind of boiled them down into giving us some really good, I think, some really good topics to talk about. And so I thank you for your feedback, those of you that gave feedback on what some of those might be or what things you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, specifically as it relates to teaching and learning in a one-to-one classroom. What I did then is I created a Google spreadsheet for you to help me with the conversations around these topics. I really want to hear from you, the listeners, and your experience with teaching or coaching or leading in a one-to-one classroom or school. So... I'm creating a recording schedule. That's what you'll find in the Google Sheet over at sospodcast.org slash 121, and it's 1-T-O-1. So sospodcast.org slash 1-T-O-1. So the number one, T-O, number one. And I'm asking you to look at the weeks and the topics and see if you can join me for one, two, or if you're really ambitious, all of the conversation be like. Now, I know these are going to take place over summer. You'll see in the recording schedule, we're going to start recording these episodes. We're going to try and record the episodes roughly two weeks before the episode comes out. That gives us time to go in and put in the music and the intros and, and do all of that stuff uh, and make sure that we really get some momentum behind this. But uh, I, I know it's over the summer. I know we love to take our summers off. So do I. So I'm trying to just, you know, if you can give it an hour sometime this summer to think about a conversation, if there's something there that you want to talk about, if there's another, uh, another idea that isn't on the list that you'd like to put forward, please do that as well. But what I really need is I need people to talk to. I need people to be on the, the podcast with me. And so I'm just asking if, if you want to be on the podcast, if you want to get your ideas out there. And this is the thing I love is what is ordinary to us is amazing to others. I love that quote. You think we all think that we're not doing anything special in our classroom. And yet what you do every day in your classroom is incredible to another teacher. And it's not another way, uh, might not be another way that a teacher has thought about that. So again, sospodcast.org. You can also just go there and click on the one-to-one link at the top of the page 
or if you want to go there directly, it's sospodcast.org slash 121. Also make sure that the link is in the show notes. So on your phone or wherever you're listening to this, if you look at the show notes, you should have the link there as well. I just wanted to give you some ideas of what some of those sessions are coming up. So here are just three of the topics that, that came up. Um, three reasons I want every student to have a laptop. And I just put the number three as a uh, placeholder. We might have seven reasons or 10 reasons or a hundred reasons why I want every student to have a laptop. But for right now, I'm just trying to focus in on like, can you come up with three reasons why you will never go back to not teaching in the one-to-one classroom again? If you're a teacher in a one-to-one classroom, I would love to hear your three reasons why you just can't go back to not teaching in a one-to-one classroom. Another one of our topics is five ideas for managing device distraction in the one-to-one classroom. You know, what are ways that you manage devices in the one-to-one classroom? That's something that's always on teacher's mind. And if you have tips and tricks, we'd love to hear from you. And then the last one is six tips to get your classroom learning management system ready to go for the new year. Again, if you can just give us some ideas or tips or tricks. We talk about different LMSs, whether that's Google Classroom or that's uh, Canvas or Blackboard. And we're just trying to help people get ready. That's towards the end of the segments of the, the these one-to-one talks uh, because as we get closer to August and, and get ready for the school year, I thought that would be a great just tips and tricks that we might have to setting up that learning management system or LMS in our classroom. So of course, the numbers three, five, or six you know, are, are just placeholders until we get into the conversation and see how many we can come up with. So if this sounds interesting to you and you'd love to have a conversation around this, please, again, I I am almost begging here, sospodcast.org slash 121 and see all the topics and hopefully you'll find a week that connects with one of the topics for that week that you can find and spare an hour to sit down at your computer and just have a conversation with me. I'm hoping to get three or four people. I'd love to have almost a roundtable discussion with with educators. Uh, Again, uh, please sign up there. And all of this, of course, leads perfectly into today's conversation. Again, I said at the beginning, one of my favorite conversations to date uh, and works out perfect because it's also episode 50. Uh, But this week, I got to sit down with Aaron and uh, we finally found a time to connect. We were going back and forth on Twitter and you know how lives get, but we finally found time to connect last week to sit down for a conversation. Um, I first met Aaron uh, at a two-day workshop that I put on in Chelan, Washington last year. Uh, her and her co-producer uh, produced the Project Based Awesome podcast. And if you don't subscribe to that, you head over and subscribe to that in your player about Project Based Awesome podcast. And uh, her co-producer, Chris, was on Shifting Our Schools. He was episode 41. So if you want to go back and listen to his. And both Chris and Aaron did a really nice podcast reflection on the two-day workshop we did in Chelan. And that is at the Project Based Awesome podcast, episode 2.8. I've also been on their podcast a couple times. You can hear some of our conversations over there that are really focused on project-based learning in the classroom. And that's really what Erin does. She's a high school English teacher. She also teaches um, international, oh, I forget the name of the class, international problems class at her high school. And so she talks about just the way that she manages her classroom, she sets up her classroom, the way she's using the knowledge around her and the knowledge around kids when all of her kids have Chromebooks, I think is just a really fascinating way to be thinking of the classroom today. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I do. And with that, on to the show. 
Karen, welcome to Shifting Our Schools podcast. We've been trying to get this together. We already talked to Chris back yeah. in, I don't know, a couple episodes ago, and I wanted to get you on as well. Thank so you. thank yeah, you for thank taking you. time out of your busy day. And we are yeah. uh, recording. Uh, Aaron's at school. Uh, so if you hear the intercom, yes, or like uh, Tim the other day had the fire alarm go on recording his, this just adds the real world <laughs> nature, but uh, it's good. Yes, so hopefully uh, no fire alarms, please. Yeah. So uh, let's get started by just introducing yourself to uh, the Shifting Our Schools podcast. We've got about 17 million listeners or 20. So it's somewhere 17 between million. Yes. Or 20. It's somewhere between there. Our numbers, our numbers yeah. fluctuate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, yeah. So uh, go ahead. Just introduce yourself. Tell us where you're at, what you do, what's kind of your passion. Yeah. Um, I teach I current. So hi, I'm Erin and I teach high school right now. Um, I've taught several different things, but this year um, I'm teaching uh, uh, some social studies. I teach a class called International Problems which is very interesting in 2018. And I also, um, I also teach drama one, our beginning drama class at our high school. We have a really big, I don't know, not to sound like snobby, but it's a pretty prestigious drama program at our high school. Um, and so, uh, this year I'm teaching the beginning drama classes and I went to this high school. This is my alma mater. So I'm teaching drama under the person who was my drama teacher, which is really fun. Cool. Um, in the past, I've taught a lot of English language arts, um, a lot of English language arts, a lot of social studies. Um, I used to teach middle school. I taught middle school for eight years. I really love middle school. When we moved back up here to my hometown, um, I decided to apply at my at my hometown high school because I thought that would be fun and it is, but sometimes I think I should have stayed in middle school because I just, <laughs> I really like that age group and a lot of people really don't like that age group. So, um, you're either a middle school teacher or you're not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. middle school teachers yeah. just have to be just as quirky as the kids to enjoy middle school. Yes. But either people either yeah. love middle school or people are just like, no, I'll do anything but middle school. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Especially um, so I would say um, within my within my workday, my my passion is in the is in the theater program. Um, I'm an amateur in theater for sure, but it's something I've been interested in for a long time. And I did some in high school, and I minored in it in college. And um, and then my husband, whom I met in college, worked for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for a long time. So we used That's to cool. live down in Ashland, Oregon, and see like world-class professional theater on a regular basis, which was great. So um, coming back up here to work with students on theater is just, it is so energizing. It's really, really, really fun. Just some of the best, best kids I've ever met are in this program. So that's really fun. Yeah. Good. You got something that fills your bucket. That's cool. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about the tech setup in your room. What, what oh, yeah. Um, wise, like what does, it, what does your room look like? Is it, what does... Are you one-to-one school or like, what do you have access to in your English classes? In your Yeah, we are, our district is in the process of transitioning over to one-to-one and we're pretty far along in that process. And my building is mostly one-to-one and my mm-hmm. classroom is one-to-one. Um, what that looks like here right now is that most classrooms, a majority of classrooms have a cart of Chromebooks. That's our, our tool of choice um, in our district. And so, what? Well, there's the intercom. Someone's getting paged. <laughs> See, it's um, real. 
It's real life. Yes. Yeah, this is authenticity right here. Um, so I believe what's going to happen, although I will say I'm not 100% sure because sometimes the communication is a little sparse. Uh, I believe what's going to happen is once we have purchased enough Chromebooks truly for every student that we will then go to a model where students have their own Chromebook that they take to all of their classes. Okay. So right um, now, we have students one don't, so right now students no. aren't, don't have a laptop checked out. It's you have a cart in your classroom and kids yes. grab the, and do you have them? With enough they, for every kid. Yeah. And so are the, do the kids grab the same device every day? Are they like your number three? That's how I five? do it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's how I do it. I have lists posted on the top of the Chromebook cart. Um, and that mostly works. <laughs> uh, it depends on how, uh, how vigilantly I want to police it, but no, it works. It works pretty well. I have my, my social studies classes that I teach these international problems classes, they're juniors and seniors. So there's a little bit less management required. Um, not zero, certainly yeah. not zero. Um, even high school seniors are, capable of great acts of stupidity uh, <laughs> happened today while we were trying to all work in the same Google Sheets. <laughs> Some people just could not handle that without harassing their classmates. But um, yeah, so right now I have a, I have a really nice card of Chromebooks with enough for every kid. Um, and then I think we're going to transition to this system where everyone has their own that they check out for the year. I'm, I'm personally a little skeptical of that. We have a middle school in the district that just opened this year. It's brand new and um, it's kind of being billed as a STEM focused school. And so mm -hmm. they have piloted this, every kid has their own Chromebook model this year. Cool. And I think there were some bumps and some hiccups the first part of the year as there yeah. will be, I think, yeah, with, anything. Many, yeah. with any rollout like that. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard much lately. That, that school is, I mean, like they're, they're doing true one-to-one there. They say they're doing standards-based grading, although I think um, you could maybe argue about the fidelity to that model. They're doing um, blended, like they're just doing all, they're doing all the things. And so uh, I just, I think they've had some bumps just cause like it's a, it's a lot of things to try. Yeah. And our district tends, it has been pretty traditional in a lot of ways in the past. So this, these are some big changes. So that's cool. Anyway, so yeah, I have, I have Chromebooks. That's, yeah. that's what I have. That's it. One-to-one -one Chromebooks in your classroom. Kids don't take yeah. them home. Yeah. Cool. No. Um, so talk to me a little bit about you are a co-host on the Project Based Awesome podcast. More announcements. Yes. It's after school. Um, yes. Talk to me a little bit about um, your, your, pa your podcast and then your, just your passion yeah. around project-based um, project learning. And why do you, why do you like it or yeah. what, what's your pull? What's the pull to that for you? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, so Chris, who was on your show a little while ago, um, Chris and I started working, we got hired the same year here in 2013 and um, just kind of found, found each other and clicked philosophically yeah. and started trying things together. So we, I think we kind of stumbled into project-based learning together. Like we had both dabbled in certain, certain aspects of it individually. But then once we kind of formed this collaborative partnership, then everything kind of exponentially, um, we, we experimented with things at an exponential pace, like because yeah. we were bouncing ideas off each other. So, um, so we, I would say he pushed me further down the actual project-based path and the idea of authentic 
um, tasks for students. And okay. I probably pushed him further down the path in terms of more authentic grading practices and how we evaluate student work. Um, and so we kind of melded our approaches together. That's cool. Um, yeah, it, it is so, it's so nice when you find somebody like that, that you just gel with so well. Um, yeah. I've, in my, in my middle school days, it took a few years, but I, but I developed a partnership with somebody in my middle school days like that. And we taught next door to each other and taught exactly the same classes every day. So we planned every single thing together. Chris and I often had sort of different classes, but we, we still helped each other plan. And, um, I, I, I say this all the time to Chris, but like I have, a, I think much better when I'm talking to somebody else than when I'm just inside my own head. So for me, if I can find that collaborative partner, then my work just gets so much better. Mm. Um, and so, so we started experimenting with things in language arts with um, taking an approach to our units where like in our school, especially a couple of years ago, I think they've, they've kind of shifted some things recently, but up until a few years ago, um, the language arts curriculum was structured a lot around um, a set of like canonical novels that each grade had to read, yeah. and then a set of writing pieces that each grade had to write. And, um, and so we were trying to find ways to infuse some creativity into that structure because we didn't want to just plow through these novels, sure. give the kids worksheets, have them write an essay at the end. Uh, which is how a lot of us experienced high school English. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for most students, that's just mind numbing. Um, we all know that. Um, and so we started, we started treating like the novel of a unit as just one part of the unit. And, and that was kind of what, um, that was kind of maybe the first step down this project based path that led us to the thing that we work on, which is this project based awesome idea, which is taking that, required curriculum that some of us are handed in our work situations and saying, how do we fit that into a framework of project-based learning as a component where you're still remaining faithful to uh, the standards and the curriculum that your district is asking you to address, but you're allowing yourself and the students a lot of agency and choice and creativity. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we started, we kind of came up with a framework where we thought of, what for every unit we did in language arts, what are the inputs for that unit? And then what are the outputs for that unit? And so the novel, for example, would just be one, input. would just be one input. We would gather other ones. Um, and, and then the output, uh, sure, one of the outputs might be one of these required essays, but there would also be like other formative outputs along the way. Um, but so, so what we found was then what it became was like, instead of feeling like we were obligated to have the students read every page of the novel and quiz them on their comprehension then it became what why was this novel actually like why is this a valuable piece of literature mm. what is the actual heart and soul of this work of art here and and what do we take from that and how do we tie that to students lives because all of the books that were the required reading in our department they're great books yeah. but we we have to work to make that connection for students and we have to pull out why are they great and it and also letting go of like, they don't have to read every single word of the novel to experience it, to get something from it. Um, so it just felt like approaching it in that way freed us up to try different things. I can, um, I can almost feel the hair on some English teachers' necks. <laughs> you say, 
you know, kids don't have to read every word of the no. novel to get something out of it. I can just, I mean, I know some English teachers that right now, if they were listening yes. to this, you, they'd be just yes, like, Ooh, I know. that doesn't sit well. I know. And like, I'm a person who, I mean, I love literature, so it makes the hair on my own neck stand up a yeah. little bit too. But I'm, I'm also trying to, um, one part of that is I'm trying to look at the reality of the situation. Yeah. And I don't know how often English teachers survey their students in a, in a forum that is truly honest, but like, I know a lot of kids that don't read the books they're assigned. Like right. a lot of kids I don't never read did. the books. And I'm talking <laughs> across the spectrum from all levels of ability, kids yeah. who are great readers sitting in an AP English class, not reading the, the required yeah. novels. So that tells me something. Yeah. And I, I want to meet that reality and adjust to that reality. So like another thing that I did in my classes, which is, this is a tangent, but I also like recorded myself. I made videos where I screenshotted every page of the, like I would buy the book we were reading on my Kindle and I would screenshot every yeah. page. And then I would put those um, in a video and just the audio was me reading. Oh, wow. And I would just make a like video for every chapter. Audio book. Yes, I, mean, I know, which is, which I, I mean, like, I know that's not legal. I know that's not legal, but I was trying to give, I was trying to get, I was only trying to use it for an educational context. And I was trying to yeah. give my kids access. And I had tons of kids say, I never even would have opened that book if you hadn't done that. But I had kids that would like, this is a couple of years ago, but you know, we were reading, I don't know, To Kill a Mockingbird or Fahrenheit 451 or something. And they would, they would get out a Chromebook and they would uh, log in and pull up the video of like the chapter they wanted to work on that day. And there'd be a whole group of like eight of them that would go out in the hallway and like all sit around the Chromebook and they'd be there like taking notes on the chapter and pausing it to talk about it. Very cool. But it just was so much more accessible to them than, and I, I know, I know it's not the same as them opening and like reading all of the but words is it on not? the page. I mean, let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. That, well, at, here's a why school, at a high school here's level. Why yeah. I, th I think the, so, okay. You have to think about what is the what is the purpose of that classic novel that you're assigning. So to right. me, the reason you assign the classic novel, there's a few different reasons. Like there are important themes. Uh, these books are cultural touchstones that get referenced over and over and over again in popular culture, and it's valuable to know what those things are. They might have a historical context that's really important, like Huck Finn or 1984 or something like that. Um, and you might want them to read really beautiful writing, but right. but I think. You can glean a lot of that stuff by hearing the book. And if you're concerned with kids not reading enough in terms of like reading fluency and being right. fluent readers, assigning them classics is not the way to handle that problem. Yeah. And so, so the other I like thing that. I did was I also gave time every day that was just, that was just for them to read yeah. something that they chose to read that, mm. that is like in their zone. At, and that's, and that's actually how you I think we go away from that, especially at the high school level, like elementary, that's still a very, I think something we, you know, is very much part of every elementary teacher that I know mm -hmm. is where, you know, you have free choice book time where yep. you can choose the book from the library or whatever that you want to read. By the time we get to high school, I find that really cool that you're adding that back into actually class time, right? Like read well, something that's straight out of, um, about, you know, like, yeah. don't, yeah, I don't know. And, and there are kids that are like, oh, wow, I haven't read like this in so long. I used to read yeah. all the time. And yeah. they're like, holy cow. Because yeah. I can that, only handle oh, so much Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, I can only handle so much Shakespeare. Right. That's it. And then I need something that's right. it's, passion. It is, yeah. 
it is really taxing on your brain to only yeah. read classic literature, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's hard, even if you like doing it. Um, and this is all, this is all straight borrowed from like Penny Kittle and, sure. um, and Kelly Gallagher and some of those language arts gurus. Um, so I totally like, this is not my idea. Right. These are not my ideas. I'm just borrowing from these people, but what they say really makes sense to me. Um, and I, I think the way that I was taught language arts was, it was just kind of a, like, it was, it was like a literature class. And so our job was to ingest that literature and make meaning of it and have discussions yeah. about it. And I liked that because I'm an English nerd, right? Like right. I'm an English teacher now. Like I like that thing. Um, but what I see out in my classroom, that's just not, I don't know. It's not yeah. terribly engaging. Yeah. It's not terribly think, engaging. You know, I think of somebody like, like myself, like I, I will be perfectly honest. Like I read two books in all, all 12 years of my schooling. One was how to eat Fred Werns in fourth grade. And then I finished Encyclopedia uh, Brown. <laughs> like that's it. I didn't read, I, I literally and graduated and, yeah. but you know, right. I wonder as somebody who now consumes audiobooks at an, mm -hmm. a pretty good pace, a, their passion. Mm -hmm. So there might've been something there. I'm trying to put myself back when I was 16, what I've still, yeah. you know, what I've read nine, 1984 from cover to cover. If mm -hmm. I could have quote read it by listening rather than, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know if I still would have been motivated to, but I think there would have been a way better chance that because I'm, you know, because of uh, my dyslexia and because that is the way that I consume a lot of information anyways is by listening would that have been yep. a way that a teacher could have captured me and got me involved in something like that i don't know yeah and i don't want to make it sound like i found some magic key or something like i still think i had lots of students that never finished the books that i that were assigned to them like right. i i i fully accept that but i do think i increased the number of kids who did finish the whole book and i increased yeah. the number of kids who encountered some portion of that book yeah. where they would have completely faked it before I, they I would agree. have completely faked it before and it's, it's very possible is, and i love that idea just because it's it's such a great it's a great use of tech like you're saying like kids are grabbing chromebooks yeah. and going and, and watching the video and we don't think of like you know, we get so caught up in that everything you got to do with the computer has to be this most amazing thing. And this isn't like yeah, no. the most amazing thing, but it's something that allows kids to get, get the information that you need them to get or to interact with information that they might not even have interacted mm -hmm. with before. And it might not be the full text, but at least they're getting something and that's better than nothing. So I like that. Yeah. The other thing that I tried to do in the context of those works of literature that we needed to read was like... I tried when, when I went into this more project-based way of structuring my class, and I, I wouldn't say that the class was not fully project-based. Right now in my international problems class, which I, I can talk about that in a second, but like it is, this semester, it's pretty much completely project-based, um, which is interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot of things. But um, when I went into a more project-based mode with my language arts classes, I tried to ask students a question that I, you know, a, a driving question that I expected them to answer at the end of the unit that asked them to take all of those texts that we had encountered mm -hmm. in that unit, the novel plus whatever else, and ask them to think about the discussions we'd had in class and then, and then derive their own answer to this question that was not just something that, that, that asked them to bring their own view into things. So 
they couldn't just read spark notes right. and then really create a great project yeah uh, because it wasn't about regurgitating somebody else's analysis like it there was always kind of an added element to it that asked them to do something that i felt it'd be pretty hard you'd be expending a lot of time and energy trying to get the internet to do that project for you. Yeah. It's easier um, to actually do it than to yeah, go out to and just figure do it. Can you give an yeah. example of like what one of those questions might, have, might be like with one of your units or around a, a text? Well, like this, this is funny because this actually is not a great example because it, it didn't turn out that great, but I yeah. think with tweaking, it could be better. I think I didn't give them enough um, like gradual release of responsibility mm -hmm. along the way. But when we read Fahrenheit 451, we centered the unit around the role of technology in society. Right. And so we talked about how Bradbury partially wrote that book in reaction to the way that TV had taken over American culture. And he was concerned about that. Um, and so that's, I mean, a lot of times when we read Fahrenheit 451, when we focus on censorship, which is another great, which is another great topic. Right. Um, we chose to zero in on the technology aspect of it. And so their project for that unit um, was supposed to be their own exploration of what, you know, think about what Bradbury was afraid of when he wrote this futuristic dystopian novel. And then think about the current reality of your society, what is the role of technology in your society? What are its positives and what are its negatives? And so like, there's not, that's not really, there's not, I, I'm just asking them to create something that is their perspective on a topic. So they can't Google their way out of that. They might use, they might use research um, to, to, get, to get some good examples to, sure. to kind of flesh out what they're saying. But, it, but ultimately, it has to be their perspective. I want to know yeah. what they think about how technology impacts their world yeah. uh, for good and for ill. Um, and again, I think that is so, what I love about that is, again, it's using the power of technology to make the learning really personal to kids. You know, when you have access, like you were saying, like you can use Google to go and like research and figure out what others are saying and thinking. But when I make that question about how is this affecting you personally, right? And I want to hear right. how you believe this is affecting you. You can't, you can't plagiarize that, right? You can't, right. like right. you said, you could go find somebody else that wrote it, and you probably, you know, you know your students well enough to know, like that's probably not you, you know? Right. I just I mean, to me, that's always when we talk about this idea of you know, student ownership and learning, the gradual release responsibility, mm -hmm. project-based learning, the idea of the questions we ask, Matt, are so critical. Yeah. And to your point, one of the things yeah. I love that you just said there too, was this idea of like, you know, censorship is like the big theme of the novel, but we really focused in on technology. And sometimes mm -hmm. I still think our questions, like if you get a really poignant question, it's even harder. Like censorship in the world today, sure. But that is so, that's so big. But we're talking, I want you to focus in on this one aspect. And I want you well, to think about this one aspect as it applies to you personally. I think it, it, that pushes you even farther, I think, into just your own understanding think, and analytical of the literature itself too. Yeah. I mean, sure, censorship, I think censorship is an interesting topic, but does it, does it intimately touch their lives? 
on a daily basis right now, probably not, no. not in ways yeah. that they're aware of. Right. Um, whereas technology, technology we yeah. can all comment on. Yeah. Yes. Everybody's yes. got a view. Yeah. And we can, and we can look at, we can look at how connected we are to our devices and, and what that means. And are we losing something by mm. adding this technology into our life? Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the question our whole society is going to be asking for a long time to come. So yeah, yeah, it kind of felt like the right question to ask, Yeah, which is, that's a lot of, go ahead. A lot of the, the nuance of it is like, you just kind of have to, I mean, I've, I've definitely made lots of mistakes in putting together project-based units and, and trying to um, teach in this way because a lot of it feels like trial and error. And sometimes you have a great driving question that just yeah. like gets everybody going. And then sometimes it, maybe even the question is good, but you didn't quite execute the unit and support the students in the way that they needed, which was what happened with that Fahrenheit 451. I had a couple of projects that were really interesting and really good. And yeah. a lot of them were just like mediocre. Like they just yeah. didn't get in touch. And didn't get there so um it, it's tricky like i've gotten comfortable with that feeling like oh that wasn't quite what i wanted to, it to be yeah. and not comfortable like i sit there but just like it's okay when that happens yeah it's it's just it's an opportunity to tweak things for the next time yeah. so well it's an opportunity for just you know even reflect tweak it mm -hmm. and, and move forward you know and i, I love yeah. that you're willing to take that risk and say yeah did learning still occur Yes. Were the yes. projects at yeah, the exactly. level that I was expecting them to be? No. And so I can go back and tweak to make sure that happens again next time. But even when you take a risk like that, and you know, just a lot of listeners, you take a risk that first time you do a project-based thing, it's pro you're, you hope that every kid has this amazing video or every kid's going to make this amazing project again. It's probably not going to happen. And be okay with that, no. right? Like you gave it a shot. It's mm -hmm. the first time you ran through it. Now you get to go back. You get to like, okay, like you, even you are already reflecting. Like, I don't think there was enough structure there. Like I, I let, yeah. you know, I released the gradual, re, <laughs> gradual release responsibility was a yeah, big, it wasn't oh, faster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then it needed Your to. Your kids go make a project. Yeah, exactly. And how do you structure that, you know, next time around? Talk a little bit about your um, international problems class because that sounds really cool and how has project-based yeah. learning i mean that one i mean i got a feeling the curriculum's probably pretty loose and it's just kind of like yes. national problems there you go right yep yeah so it's um so this is a class for first semester i had mostly seniors this semester i have some juniors in there as well but it's an upper upperclassman class um, it's just like a social studies elective. Like they, they need uh, a certain type of social studies credit. This is one of the options they can take for that. And so first semester was the first time I'd ever taught it. And um, there is a curriculum that the district has purchased that can be used in this class. And it is a neat curriculum. Um, it's, it's, there's like different units about different international issues and um, each unit kind of goes, it has kind of sections, almost like chapters you could think of, and there's some reading materials, and then there's some activities to do with the kids. And then at the end of each unit, there's usually some kind of, um, it usually takes the form of a, of a kind of low key simulation of some kind, where you're trying to um, get the students to kind of, like, like for example, there's one about the um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and the, um, the culminating activity is that the students sit down like they're the United Nations in 1947 or whatever, when they decided like, here's what Israel's going to be. 
and they have like different options they have four different choices they can pick from and they're all terrible choices like yeah. and that's that's like the learning there is like oh this was really hard and there wasn't really a good choice they were going to make somebody really unhappy no matter what yeah, they did no matter what happened yeah. um and and the if there was a like driving question for each of the units in this curriculum it would be like what should us policy about x be so like mm. there's um there's a unit on I don't know, like there's a unit on terrorism and it's like, what should US, what should the US be doing about global terrorism? Um, so, so the materials are really, they're super high quality. I would say they're like borderline college level quality materials in terms of difficulty and complexity. And I mean, borderline, not quite, yeah. but close. They have good resources associated with them. But so I used some of those first semester, but it felt like, it felt like a bit of a slog after a while and it felt like I'm just like plopping these units in front of them and here yeah. we go like marching yeah. through the unit and um, it just didn't feel, it just didn't feel good. And there was no like project based aspect to it really. Um, and so when we did the terrorism unit, we used some of those curriculum materials and then I kind of like switched gears partway through the unit. And then I was like, okay, for the second, like the second half of this unit, we're going to take our driving question, which is, you know, what should the U S be doing about terrorism, which is a huge question. Um, and then you're going to like create some kind of project that, uh, and I gave them a few different digital tools they could use yeah. to, to answer that question. And so that was kind of our first try. And then at the end of the semester, the last unit of the semester, I let everybody pick a topic that we had not yet covered in class. We had covered maybe four or five international problems topics at that point as a whole group. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let's brainstorm some ideas. What are some different topics people could choose? And then everybody picked a different topic. Um, and I think I had them work in groups of like two to four. And they built uh, a website in which they, I think, I'm trying to think of how we did this. It's already been so many, so many <laughs> moons ago. It's like three months ago. I can't remember what we did. I can't remember exactly. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm so immersed in what we're doing right now uh, yeah. that I can't remember. So it was something like, I think I probably had every group write their own driving question about their topic. And then they had to like research their topic and create a website, ex you know, exploring their topic, deriving an answer to their question. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So then I got to thinking, what if that thing that we did as the end of the class, first semester, what if that just was the whole class cool. from start to finish? So instead, so this semester, what I did, we spent the first couple of weeks of the semester just like exploring different topics, watching. We we watch a like a short YouTube video at the beginning of class every day. That's part of how like we're not going to cover every international problems topic as a class. So we watch short little, a lot of times they have to do with what's going on in the news right now. Mm, or cool. if there's not something salient that works, then I go back and pull something like the Israeli Palestinian conflict explained yeah. in like seven minutes. Um, so I've, I've kind of cultivated a bunch of YouTube channels that have really good content for that kind of thing. So first couple of weeks of class, we watched a lot of explainer videos. Like what are all these different things? We hear all, you know, terrorism, Israeli Palestine, um, yeah. Venezuela, like all these different things that are kind of North Korea. Um, and then we formed groups and I let people work anywhere from like by myself to up to five people. 
Mm, so I gave a lot of flexibility in group size. Um, so they got to choose size of group. They got to choose whom they worked with. They got to choose their topic and they got to choose their medium. So how the class is set up is they do four of these projects for the semester. And that's like 80% of their grade is those four projects. Wow, cool. Um, so the project, so it's like four, four week project phases. We start the project phase by we pick topics and then we go through um, a questioning process, like a question generation process, which I'm borrowing from the Right Question Institute, mm. just something I stumbled on this year, but they have kind of a protocol to go through for generating, for, for teaching students to generate their own questions about topics. Um, so I, I don't give anybody their driving questions. They generate a huge list of questions and that kind of becomes their list of things they want to research. And it's everything from like really closed ended basic questions. Like what do the letters ISIS stand for yeah. to really big, broad questions. Like why does ISIS hate the United States? Right. Um, and that kind of becomes their list of research questions. And then looking at that big list of questions, then they come up with what does it feel like this topic is about? What's our driving question going to be? And they can, after they do some research, they can come back and revise that driving question. Sure. But That's then we start, then we go into kind of a research phase. Um, they divvy, if they're working in a group, they divide up subtopics and all get going on that. And then, and then they kind of start, um, you know, building some kind of product to house what they've discovered. Um, most of the, most of the groups have made websites. That's been the, that's been like the um, medium of choice. Google sites they've used or... Google sites a lot. They've used Wix, Wix yeah. a lot um, because Wix is prettier than Google sites. Yeah. Um, some kids have used Weebly. Mm. Those are kind of the big three that are free and that you can have multiple collaborators on. Um, I have one group that has like, so at the end of every project, they're allowed to like change it up and say, mm, I'm going to work by myself this time. Or, you know, this group of four is going to break into two groups of two. Like I don't make them get married to their group for the semester, but I have one group in one class that's like, they are committed to staying together wow. and they decided to create a textbook. So they, their overall topic for all four projects is climate change. And then wow. each of the four projects is about a different aspect of climate change. And then each aspect, each of the five people in the group writes a different article about wow. that aspect of climate change. Just how yeah. much content and then they put it all creating, together. right? That is yeah. incredible. Yeah. And then they put it all together in Canva. That's what they use to lay it all okay. out. Yeah. Um, so one person in the group that's very like detail oriented and she does all of the graphic layouts. The layouts for it and, yeah. mm -hmm. Is that, is that public? Uh, is, can that, can we, can people see it or is it a private thing at this point? I don't, I don't think it's public right now. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it's public right now. Um, yeah, that's, theirs is pretty neat. I had one group do kind of like a, like a digital magazine for one of theirs that turned out pretty nice. Also using Canva. Um, some kids have started, I kind of tried to get some people to use Microsoft Sway, yeah, which turned out Sway's to be a cool. cool tool for this kind of thing Yeah, where it's like, it doesn't have, it, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing to ask them to do because I'm asking, it's, it's something they don't do a whole lot outside the form of a paper. Yeah. So I'm basically asking them kind of to do an analytical research paper, but I want you to make it a thing that I actually want to look at. Yeah. Right. I don't so want like to read 30 pages. Yeah. 
you're right. And it, it, it needs to have enough content and explanation in it to stand on its own because we yeah. are not doing four days of each group, you know, yeah. you know, getting up here and doing a 10 minute presentation. We don't do that. Yeah. So I have to be able to look at it independently and get everything that you learned from it. So it has to have a lot of text in it in yeah. some form, whether that's narrated in a video or it's text sure. in a magazine or, or whatever. Right. But I don't want it to just be like, a big huge column of text on a web page like you have to have some thought into what will enhance what yeah. you're trying to teach design like, matters right i love that like you know we know that mm -hmm. design matters like you've got to be able to capture a person's interest and there's got to be embedded videos and images that go with it and we are visual beings i love that aspect of it have you done any have a kid did anybody do like an adobe spark page or post or yes Yes. Yeah, um, a few groups have used Spark also. I, I feel like Spark and if they use the Adobe Spark page, that's yeah. pretty similar to using Sway. Yeah. The page um, is pretty close to that. Yeah. Th those yeah. are kind of, some, they give you similar outcomes, I think. Although Sway is kind of more, um, it, in true like Microsoft fashion, it's like a little more like boxed in and linear, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and Sway is a little more intuitive and freeform, I think. Yeah. But they're they're pretty similar. Yeah. No one has ventured into wanting to make a video product, and no one has ventured into wanting to make an audio product. No one has wanted to do that. Interesting. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Um, huh. And then what we do at the end of the project cycle is we usually have a couple of days of gallery walk, so that mm. so we have half the pro like on day one we have half the projects set up at stations around the room on you know on screens and um and then whoever is not set up they're rotating around and i do like time stations so uh so if my project is set up i'm going to sit there next to that computer and i'm going to talk about my project probably like eight different times that yeah, class right. period yeah um you know four minutes at a time explaining to each new group that rotates around so um it gives them a chance to Public show speak. the other people in class what they did. Everybody gets to kind of hear a little bit about these different topics. So we get some exposure to some different things that we didn't know about. Um, and sometimes for kids, it, it helps me to hear them talk about their project because right. a lot of kids are better at explaining what they learned to me verbally than they are at getting it all in the project itself. But so which it's helpful is funny because at the same point, you haven't had somebody that decide to do a video where you could talk, right? You could talk that, it out. Or I think you're not self-aware enough to know that they're better at that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, and what has school taught them? School taught them you write stuff down on paper, right? Like yeah, you absolutely. school by turning, by turning in paper. That's how you get A's. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a cool, that's so cool. I love the way you set up your classroom. That is very, very cool. And it's, um, it's been, um, there's, I've definitely been, learning a lot like we had a lot of what i what i graded as like c level work on the first project and and kids were just like shocked right yeah. um and i was like well i'm looking at the standards and i, I don't really think you did this thing so you know yeah. so what we what we settled on was we're doing these four projects for the semester so the idea is you get better at them each time yeah. Because we're going through the exact same process every time. We're going to choose a topic. We're going to brainstorm questions. We're going to come up with a driving question. We're going to do some research. We're going to... And so I told them, if your last project of the semester is higher quality than what has come before it, I will override those previous grades. Because mm -hmm. you don't need to be like penalized for the learning curve that was happening on projects Absolutely. one and two. Absolutely.
I want to see what can you do by the end of the semester. So they, they feel good about that. And the projects have steadily gotten better over the course well, of the semester. So that tells me we're on the right path. Mm -hmm. And it's what's been, the feedback, what's the feedback been uh, from the students about going through projects like this? Do you feel like they're liking it? Would they rather you just tell them what to do and it wasn't so open-ended? Um, I haven't gotten a ton of, so, so last semester I can think of a really specific student who I had a couple of years ago in English class. And like he said to me last semester, he just like that last project where they had to just make a website yeah. about a thing it drove him crazy. Yeah. He's just like, I just want to read something and answer the questions. Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. And that's why I'm not going to do that. Uh, Cause there's literally no time in life when that is what your job, like yeah, that's exactly. not, right. You already know how to do that. Um, this semester I've, so we, we have, we're about to finish like, um, Friday is when project number three is due. So after projects one and two, I did a Google form survey asking them for feedback. Um, some kids wanted more structure from me about like, mm. when do I need to have certain parts of the project done? Like they just needed more help with that. So in this project, I actually made a timeline for them. Um, I don't really have hard deadlines in my class. Sure until the end of the semester comes. Like I just, I, well, I guess what I should say is I give them deadlines, but I don't take points off for late work in my class. Mm, I like that. So, but, but when I framed out project number three for them, I just was like, here's when I think you should be doing this and this and this, like, here's, here's our research phase. Here's our, I, I structured a, um, a group meeting day where everyone should have, you know, been out researching their little subtopics. Now here's your group meeting. I want you to take two minutes for each person to go around and share what they found. I want you to think about what is the story being created by everything everyone has mm -hmm. found? What is your project really about? Do you need to adjust your driving question? Do you need to find more information? So I structured that for them this time, which I had not done before. So I, I've kind of been walking them through some like oh. functional team work steps that I think that I think has been helpful. Yeah. Um, well, that goes back to like, we've talked on the podcast before. And I think we talked, you know, when we were in the workshop in Shalane, the idea of highly structured, loosely organized. Right. And well, that's, I've thought about that so many times since this fall, like, <laughs> you know, but, Chris and I have talked about the concept so many times. Like it's one yeah. of those little nuggets that you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You've got to have, I mean, that, that structure, because I mean, that structure is even in real life. Right. And the, I just, Absolutely. kids haven't gone through enough projects to know and learn that structure. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, as, as educators, right. And leaders and say, okay, here's the structure, you know, it'd be really yeah. interesting. Like after you've kind of laid out the timeline for them and this, maybe this is just something I'm thinking about out loud. So don't feel like I'm yeah. raining on your parade, but to me, I'm wondering if, no, like, you're not. you know, if you, if you lay out the timeline, the next, maybe the next unit is like, okay, you had the timeline in the third unit and the fourth unit, mm -hmm. adjust that for you and maybe even create a calendar so everybody knows where you're at. Because one of the things I keep coming back to is I was just, again, talking to a bunch of juniors and seniors and I asked them, I asked them, I said, how do you keep your life structured as far as like organized and know where you need to be? And I said, do you use the mm -hmm. calendar app on your phone? None of them do. Nobody is, they're just like, no, I just know. And I'm like, no, you don't just know. That's why you're missing assignments. <laughs> you know, like, uh -huh. I think, I wonder if there's a way that you say, okay, there's the structure. Now, as a team or an individual, I want to see a, 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 a Google calendar yes. that I know you're going to have on your phone that you're never going to leave behind where you say, mm -hmm. okay, Tuesday's a team meeting day. 
Thursday is individual research day. Friday, everybody's got to be ready to go with X, Y, and Z, you know? And I don't know. I'm just thinking yeah. that that might be like a nice little almost release that of responsibility yeah. of like, here's a structure yeah. and now see if you can create your own. Yeah. Mm. And I've told the kids throughout this, this project that we're in right now, like, um, like I had a, a deadline for, so I asked them, the other thing I was realizing was that in groups, I didn't have a good enough bead on who was doing what. Mm. And so in this project, I asked them to turn in a document to me with their research. Mm. Um, and I didn't have a particular format that that had to be. I said, it cannot just be a list of hyperlinks. If yeah. you're going to list links for me, then you have to annotate those links for me. You have to tell me what each one is and what you got from it, at yeah. least in a few sentences. Like, you got to give me something here. But yeah. so that was due on a particular day. And then last week I asked them each person to turn in a document for me of the content they had written for their project. So, um, I said like, I know you already did your research, but this isn't, complete until you've taken that research, that factual information, and you've added commentary to it. We talked a lot about commentary during project three, because I realized during the first two projects, this is another thing that did not come naturally to them. They were just, and they were even like paraphrasing. They were rephrasing things in their own yeah. words. They were not straight up plagiarizing. I didn't see much of that this semester, but they weren't like making any meaning out of those facts. Yeah. They weren't analyzing at all. Yeah. And so we, so we did some mini lessons around like, how do we, you know, make a, make a restatement of a fact that we've learned and then how do we comment upon it? And so, cool. so I said, um, so I had another assignment where they had to turn in their content writing. What content have you written for this project that includes both your facts and your commentary? But both of those times when those two things were due, I said, if your process is different, if your process is to kind of weave together the research gathering and the content writing and that stuff really isn't going to be done until a couple of days before the project is due get them to me later i still need you to separate them out yeah so it may mean like copying and pasting and doing some weird things but like i don't need to have them on the day that i said i need to have them i'm gonna need to have them but that's if a, your process is don't break your process if it works right. for you yeah um that's cool but also like be aware enough to know if your process works for you. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes if they it's not working for you, you might need a different process. <laughs> yeah, like why don't you just try mine? Just try yeah. it. Just try it, yeah. Don't know where to start, you know, try mine. Like those life cereal commercials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Awesome, man, what a great conversation. I'm so pumped. Thank you for sharing all this. There's so many nuggets in here. I just actually had a text from somebody who was listening. They were driving actually from the Tri-Cities up to Wenatchee and they were like, I listened to your podcast for three hours and had to pull over to write down ideas. And I just keep like in this podcast, awesome. I'm just like, people are going to be pulling over and just being like, oh, that's so good. That is so oh. good. So I've written down a bunch um, of the links that we talked about, much. Right Question Institute, Canva, Sway, I'll make sure those all make it into the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, as we wrap this up, what is one classroom management strategy that you would share with other teachers? Like what's something that really works for you as a high school English international problems teacher that you say, you know, this with junior, seniors, high school kids, mm -hmm. is, there, is there a strategy of something or either around tech or not around tech, just something that seems yeah. to work for you? Um, in general, my classroom management strategy is, um, is all about relationships. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just not a terribly, I'm, mm, I really like 
structure as a person, I'm not always great at imposing structure. Okay. So I rely on my relationship with my students to manage my classroom. Cool. But I would say my general um, piece of advice that, that works really well for me is to, is to treat, and this, this goes for high school, but like, man, it, it can even kind of go further down than that if you do it right, is to treat them as much like adults as you can, as is reasonable. Rather than starting with, you're just a kid, you can't manage that responsibly. I start with, uh, hey, when you're an adult, you have to manage this responsibly. So let's do this, right? Yeah. Now, it's not a perfect strategy because kids do take advantage of the fact that I'm not going to rip their phone out of their hands in class. Right. I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. I'm more the type that's going to circulate around the room really frequently and redirect. I'm just going to redirect. Um, but... For me, that works because it gives an ease and a comfort to my classroom that moves us in a positive direction. Mm, It would not work for everybody. It would not work for everybody. Like I I know other people in my building that are just like, oh my God, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that much like loose expectation around things like, can you have your cell phone out in class? Um, we just have, we just have like multiple come to Jesus's a semester where we just yeah. check back in and we're like, mm. Hey, we've gotten really loose with our management of our personal devices and how we're using our screen time in this class. So we're going to like redirect and, and they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay. Refocus. You know, yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. that's all I got. Yeah. I love it. Really no, good. I love it. You know, my, my wife's an elementary school counselor and, and a lot of times teachers will come to her and they're like, I can't believe you talk to kids that way. And she's like, like adults. And she goes, yeah. they respect you more if you stop treating them like a kid and you just like, you know, like stop being an idiot, <laughs> you know, like, you know how much time you're spending on your phone? Get off your phone, you know, <laughs> like just yeah. like you wouldn't. So. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Right. I love it. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking time out thank of you, your busy day. I appreciate it. We'll make sure there is a link to your podcast as well where people can. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And Chris. Um, you guys go deeper into this stuff and are constantly bouncing ideas. Mm-hmm. It's a great podcast. I subscribe to it. So people should subscribe to it too. That's uh, project based. Awesome. You can find it everywhere. Uh, that podcast can yeah. be as well. So that is very, very cool. So thank you so much for spending your time with me and we were only interrupted once by the intercom. So that. Yeah, great. not too bad. So, all right. Good to see you. Thanks again, Jeff. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.